Hello and welcome to a special Reorg podcast focused on UK tour operator Thomas Cook. My name's Richard Woolley and I'm the Distressed Debt and Restructuring Editor here in Reorg Europe's London office. And I'm joined by reporter Connor Lovell, financial analyst Cedric Kassan and legal analyst Shan Qureshi. Thomas Cook filed for liquidation in the High Court in London before the start of business this morning. The company's management had held talks with stakeholders over the weekend, but they'd failed to reach an agreement on the final terms of the recapitalization and reorganization of the company. So how did we get to this point and what's likely to happen in the coming days? Connor, can you bring us up to speed on what things look like for creditors? Thomas Cook collapsed for want of an additional £200 million, denied first by lenders and then by the UK government, which will now have to foot the bill to repatriate its stranded customers. This morning, both classes of notes, the 2022s and the 2023s, traded as low as two cents, later rising to around five cents, with buying dominated by holders of Thomas Cook CDS. As part of the failed scheme process, Alix Partners provided recovery estimates for the debt based on forecasts up to September 20th. Um, Alix Partners, who have been appointed special managers to the airline and tour, tour operator of Thomas Cook, estimated that Thomas Cook's 2022 note holders can expect recovery in the range of 2.2% to 6.2%, based on claims totaling 666 million. And the 2023 note holders can expect between 2.3% and 6.3%, based on 355 million pounds of claims. Recovery for RCF lenders is slightly better. They can expect recovery of between 13.2% and 16.7%, based on claims of 875 million pounds. The main difference in recovery levels between the RCF lenders and the note holders is due to the fact that guarantors under the RCF hold credit balances with RCF lenders, which would help offset liabilities. The estimates provided to parties in the restructuring talks are based on uh, Thomas Cook's cash, cash position of £359 million, which also assumes the sale of assets, including aircraft and slots. Thomas Cook's cash position may be different as of this morning. Okay, and what's the status of the CDS payouts? There are currently three requests before ISDA. The first was filed on 17th of September, just after Thomas Cook filed for Chapter 15 recognition of its English scheme in New York and seeks to establish whether that filing constituted an event of default that would trigger a CDS payout. The second filing on Friday asked ISDA whether, fu- whether a failure to pay credit uh, event had occurred with respect to Thomas Cook's notes, which according to a memo filed in support of the request, allegedly became due and payable Uh, as a result of the Chapter 15 filing. The third filing was made this morning after the news of the liquidation hit. Again, it asked for clarification on whether a bankruptcy credit event had occurred. ISDA's determinations committee was due to meet to discuss the request at midday today. As of right now, it hasn't made a determination. Thanks, Connor. Cedric, perhaps you can give us a bit more detail on the financial issues that faced the group recently. Yes, thank you, Richard. Uh, in my opinion, two things tipped uh, the company over. Firstly, the sharp de- decline in business over the summer. And second, the volatility of the company's liquidity profile. It's important to remind everyone how seasonality is playing a huge part in the story. Before summer, Thomas Cook assessed the demand, the demand and commits to capacities, hotels, beds and flights. agreeing to pay for those months later, after having collected customers' deposits and full balance payments. Essentially, this means a few things. 
At the working capital level, the company sees a net outflow of about 350 to 400 million pounds, offset by a net inflow of the same magnitude in the summer months. This also means that the group cash balance is at the highest level at the end of the summer, which is then used to pay suppliers in September and October. Okay. Uh, what was different about this year? So, however, this year, book so generally speaking, booking trends are ultra-sensitive to external factors. Two years ago, the hot and dry summer. This year, the weak currency, Brexit, and economic uncertainties. This meant a, a working capital outflow in the winter 200 million pounds higher than last year, and a much weaker inflow in the summer. It's fair to say that the company's revolving facility of 650 million pounds was not adequate to deal with the sort of swings. From, the, from an EBITDA standpoint, the latest numbers were very bad. In the winter semester, the EBITDA loss was 60% higher than last year, and then between April and the, and the end of July, essentially peak season, the group generated a negative EBITDA of 180 million pounds, which compares with 230 million pounds last year last year, positive 230 million pounds. So six months ago, the company's cash balance was nearly 700 million pounds. It then dropped to below 500 million pounds in July and was just 360 million pounds last week. This compares with nearly 2 billion of on balance sheet debt and another 2 billion of liabilities off balance sheet. Suppliers payments were coming due, hence the race against time. When you compare Thomas Cook for, to TUI, for instance, which have similar business profiles, TUI is much better capitalized with a positive net cash position at the end of September. Thanks, Cedric. Uh, Shan, so as we've said, Thomas Cook's failed for liquidation in the High Court. What does that mean for creditors? Thanks, Richard. Well, the general principles of English law dictate that the unsecured creditors will be paid on a pari passu basis amongst each other. That's subject to any intercreditor arrangement. But to the extent that there are any secured creditors, they will be entitled to be paid from the proceeds for this, of the sale of the secured assets. Now, creditors will have to pr provide the liquidator with details of their claims by sending a proof of claim. Creditors can claim interest on their outstanding debt up to the date of liquidation if it bore interest, or if it was payable at a previous date under a written instrument, or if the creditor had previously demanded it in, in writing that it would claim interest. Now, importantly, there's an automatic stay on proceedings against the company or its assets once the liquidation commences. And should any creditor wish to pursue legal proceedings against the company, then they must first apply to court for permission. The liquidator will provide creditors with an ongoing progress report, and creditors may form liquidation committees to aid the creditor with its duty. And what happens under compulsory liquidation, then? What powers will the liquidator have? The compulsory liquidation procedure under the Insolvency Act is a court-based procedure where the assets of a company are realised and then distributed to the company's creditors and stakeholders. The process commences with a petition filed at court and the judge will decide to make a binding up order. For Thomas Cook, this process took place this morning before the High Court in London and a winding up order was made. Now, the liquidator is an officer of the court and has a duty to act fairly and impartially. The key role of the liquidator is to collect and realise the company's assets and then to distribute the proceeds to the company's creditors. To the extent that there is any surplus funds, this amount will go to the company's stakeholders. 
But given the recovery values mentioned earlier, this is unlikely to be the case. Okay. And so uh, in terms of the process itself, how long will the company be in liquidation and how long do you think the process is likely to be? Good question. Now, this process is likely to involve significant complexity, particularly for a large group like Thomas Group, where there are several layers of debt across the capital structure and also complicated subordination arrangements. The liquidator will have to unravel funding arrangements and distribute funds according to provisions in the relevant intercreditor arrangements. The liquidator will have the power to bring legal proceedings in the name of the company and carry on the business of the company. Practitioners will be wary of the intense and expensive litigious proceedings that can come out of liquidations and other insolvency scenarios, with, for example, the Lehman waterfall proceedings having continued for over a decade. In short, the take-home message for this is that the process is likely to take years rather than months. Okay. Um, Thanks, Shan, and uh, thanks to Cedric and Connor. That's all for now. Now, obviously, we'll be staying up to date on the story as it develops on reorg.com throughout the week. And unless something else dramatic happens, we'll be back to our normal bi-weekly reorg podcast uh, for Europe on Thursday, the 3rd of October. Thanks very much to everyone for listening.